0: Welcome again church to church online. I want to welcome all of you watching in your homes. Welcome to church at home day number 867, all right? Welcome to church That's what it feels like, right? That's what it feels like that it's been that long in quarantine. I know some of you uh, have gotten a little stir-crazy, a little bit of cabin fever. I want you to know that we miss every single one of you. Cannot wait until you are back in the room, uh, just been missing you guys, want to have that church fellowship. But until that day comes, I want to show you something that I had the team work up for me this week, and that is I have gotten tired of amening myself on Sunday mornings, all right? I have gotten tired of having to give myself a spiritual high-five throughout the message. And so what I had them work up for me is this little device here, uh, that whenever I have a really funny point or really spiritual point, I had them work up a couple of audio clips for me. Let me show you how that works. So if I say something funny, (laughs) I have a little bit of backdrop here. Now, if it's something really spiritual, we try to mimic some of you guys that are actually in the audience, try to get your voices right, and so if it's something spiritual, here's what we have. Right, just a little bit of amen boosts me up. So, just so you know, that's what I have here, and I'll use that throughout the service. And then I thought I really needed something if it was super spiritual, right? If I went even deeper than amen would cover, and so I needed something that was, you know, more more spiritual and kind of tuned to our church. And so here's what you'll hear if I really hit the high notes. Go Tigers! Come on, somebody, that's good stuff right there. I don't care if you think that's funny, that's funny, all right? So i use those throughout the day. Those are just for me to have a little bit of a pick-me-up. So go ahead and grab your Bibles out or your, your notes if you've got them there with you in your house. You can pull up, of course, the Victory Church app, tap on this weekend's message, and there's some fill-in-the-blank version of the notes for you if, you if you like taking notes that way. We're starting a new series today called Gloves Up. Now, my sons, you've heard me talk about them a lot. They're five and seven years old, and I've been teaching them how to box. And I know nothing about boxing. Everything I learned about boxing, I learned from Rocky 1, 2, and 3. 6 is okay. 4 and 5 never happened, all right? Amen, somebody? That's just, amen. But what I do know is that when you step in the ring, when that bell sounds, nothing's happening until you get the gloves up. If you don't want to get knocked out in the first minute, you've got to get your gloves up because here's the thought of the series and that is you can't control what happens to you in life you can't control the punches that are coming the hits that you're going to take you can't control the attacks that are going to come but what you can control is how you respond you can't control how you respond in the fight so sometimes we have to learn how to roll with the punches and so here's our theme verse out of 1 corinthians chapter 9 it says so run to win all athletes are disciplined in their training they do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize." And here's what he says in this part. He says, the lives that we're living, right, we do it to, to win an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. So the lives that we're living are supposed to impact eternity, everything that we do. And so we don't just give our time frivolously. We don't just enter into relationships uh, casually. We live our lives intentionally impacting eternity. And then the thought of the series, he says, I'm not just shadowboxing, boxing. Now, shadowboxing is fake fighting, all right? Shadowboxing is where you kind of dance around and you kind of punch at the air, but you're not really throwing a punch. And my fear is, for a lot of Christians, is we enter into this life with Christ on fire, and we want to make an impact for eternity. We want to leverage everything that we have to impact things for the kingdom of God. But then somewhere along the way, we start to have more of a religious experience. The fire starts to die out, and somewhere along the way, we just kind of make it all about the traditions, and so we do church on the weekends, but it's not really working its way into the rest of our life. So we'll have faith when we watch church online or we sing the worship songs, but then it's not really a part of who we are. We're not really making an impact. We're just shadowboxing. On the surface, we may look like believers, but we're not really throwing any real punches And I think we're supposed to advance the kingdom of God. I think we're supposed to kick the devil in the teeth. You're supposed to get into the ring with the gloves up and actually throw some punches for the kingdom of God. And so we're going to talk about that during this series. We're going to talk about what that looks like for a Christian to have the gloves up. to Whether you're going to block a punch or you're going to throw a jab, whatever it is, you've got the gloves up. Now, I can't see your hands right now, but I would ask, if you were sitting in this room, I would ask those of you at Victory... How many of you have been in an actual fight, like real fist throwing, like an actual fight that you were into? Isn't it funny how it's never how you thought it was going to be? Because we watch all these movies and these TVs and we think it's going to be this choreographed, like kickboxing, awesome, you know, rocky type of moves when it's really not. It's actually pretty ugly when you get into a real fight, right? There's a lot, it looks more like wrestling and grabbing, a lot of slapping going on. Even men, even men when they fight, there's a lot of slapping. It's just ugly. It's really ugly. And you run out of energy a whole lot faster than you think you would. The reality is every one of us spiritually is in a fight, Whether you know it or not, spiritually, you are in a fight. We're all in the ring, and there is an enemy who has it out for us. There is an enemy who wants to destroy your life. He's picking on you, and you have to have a strategy with how you're going to deal with it. You can't just be lazy in your Christian walk and expect everything to go all right. We have to have a strategy. You have to have a battle plan when you step into the ring. And so Today, we're going to study the story of King Hezekiah in the Old Testament. Out of 2 Chronicles 32. And so let me set the stage of the story and then we'll jump into it. King Hezekiah has become the king of Israel at the age of 25 years old. And up until this point, they've had some terrible kings all the way up until Hezekiah. They have had some kings that have led the people astray. Just generation after generation of moral decline and decay. And so Hezekiah, he inherits this kingdom... And so he reopens the temple. He believes in the one true God. And so he begins to reinstitute things of their religion to God. And so he begins to reinstitute the festivals and the feasts. And he brings out the books of the law. And they begin to follow after God. And they really, he brings the country back to the place where they should have been. He brings them back into a place of revival. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 31, the chapter before the story that we're going to read, it said in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple, in the obedience to the law and the commands, he sought God. And he worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. in everything he did to bring back the religious laws and to bring back the kingdom following after Christ. And so you would think a king like this, that the next few chapters would be filled with the prosperity and the peacetime and all the things good that would happen to Hezekiah because he sought the Lord and he brought the kingdom back. But that's not how this story goes. Look at verse 1 in chapter 32. And I like how the writer puts this, after all of that, that Hezekiah had so faithfully done. So after he did all of those faithful things, he brought the kingdom back. He brought them spiritually back to the Lord. After all of that, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer it for himself. This is a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Because just about the time that you start to put God first, just about the time that you rearrange your finances and begin to bless other people, just about the time that you really try to start instituting biblical principle for your kids, by the time you try to get into small groups, the time you start trying to reconnect with other people and just live your life spiritually, just about that time, that's typically when the enemy of your soul will come along and try to attack you just about the time that you're trying to square everything up and really follow after God, that's the moment when the enemy will try to attack you the most and to keep you from being successful. And so if we're going to live this Christian life, you and I have to have a battle plan. We have to have strategy for spiritual success. You need to live with intention, with purpose. can't just shadow box. And so I think Hezekiah gives us three very simple steps from his preparation, three simple steps from what he does when the enemy attacks that we can use in our spiritual life. That we can begin to institute. I want to show you how you can use that practically throughout the week to begin to institute a strategy against the enemy. Because there is a devil that is ruining your life. So point number one, if you're taking notes today, jot it down. You need to know your enemy. You need to know your enemy because you do have one. Go back to verse 2 in our chapter. Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem. So when he saw that, he consulted with his officials and his military staff. Two things that I think are brilliant and simple here that Hezekiah does is first he saw that there was an enemy in the region. He perceived the fact that there was an enemy in his land. And then the second thing is that he realized what the intention of the enemy was. That he had come not to make peace, but to conquer them. And you need to know that there is an enemy of your soul and that his pure intention, the Bible tells us, is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He wants to kill your marriage. He wants to kill your life. He wants to kill your kids. He is after your life to destroy it. You have to know that there is an enemy of your soul. And the Bible tells us clearly what he's after. He's not here to make peace. He's not here to to make peace and to make your life better. He's not here to pacify your pain. He is here with the sole intention of destroying you. We have to recognize, you have to know the enemy that you're up against. It's why Ephesians chapter 6 says, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. I, I love that verse because it starts off, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against people. Sometimes we feel like we are in a battle solely with physical people. That's our battle. Some of you have been fighting battles these last few weeks online with people all over the place. you got battles on Facebook. you got battles on Twitter. Some of you are streaming the service, and that little indicator is, is counting up, and the red number is telling you someone somewhere is arguing with you on a thread, and you are just itching to go and argue back. And some of you have fought against people, and while people may be involved in the conflict, there is something deeper going on. There is an attack in the spiritual. It says our struggle is really against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And if some of you took half the energy you spend fighting people and fought in the spiritual, think how much better your life would be. Problem is most of us, even as Christians, we have an enemy that we don't even realize it. We're so focused on all these other things that we perceive as the real enemy and we don't realize there is an enemy of our soul who wants to destroy us. And so we have to get our eyes focused. You have to know your enemy. And I believe honestly that the devil has done this gradually and seeped into the world around us. He's come and conquered our culture in a little bit at a time where he snuck in and convinced the world that it's not really that big of a deal. And so you will see in everything around you, and I'm not trying to harp on TV shows or movies or anything like that this morning. I'm just saying in everything that we do watch, And everything that we do, everything that is advertised to us, everything, you look and see there are 50 million agendas being pushed on you every day. There's an agenda in every single thing that's being pushed, and we have to begin to recognize that. We have to begin to know your enemy, because it's a little bit at a time. It's all being pushed, and we have to believe that we have one. We have to know that he's there, because he's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you don't recognize you have an enemy, you'll never get your gloves up in order to fight. You have to know that he's present that he's trying to destroy your children, trying to destroy your marriage, your life. That's why First Peter says it this way in chapter 5, be alert. He says it that way because a lot of us are not. And he says, in a sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's trying to creep into our culture very subtly because at the end of the day, his only purpose is to destroy you, is to devour your life. And I need you to see this, everybody. The Bible says that your enemy, the devil, is a cat. Come on, somebody, that's good. Where's my amen button on that one, right? That's just, he, it's a cat, all right? So you just have to know your enemy. I had to work that one in there. I thought about that this morning, that some of you might have your pets watching with you at church this morning for the first time. And so all to you cats, I apologize. I hope you come back next week. I hope you come back. But it's important that you know your enemy. Number two is, you've got to know your weaknesses. you got to know your weaknesses. If you're going to be ready for a fight, not only do you have to be aware of the fact that there is an enemy who is trying to destroy your life, but you also have to look at things that may be giving him the advantage, that may be fueling his success. Hezekiah, watch this next verse, he consulted with his officials and his military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and so they helped him. And so then it says he brought them out, and so they asked him the question, why, in verse 4. And so the people came, and they gathered a large group and blocked all of the springs and the streams that flowed through the land. Why? Because why should the king of Assyria come and find plenty of water? In military times in those days, one of the greatest keys to success was fresh water. It was the only way you could move troops over long distances. It was the only way you could set up a siege of the city was if you had water to sustain yourself for long periods of time. And so what Hezekiah is saying is we have all of these springs in the land. We have all of these waters and these ways and these things in the land that occur naturally, but what the enemy is going to do is camp in the valley where all of these springs will provide fresh water for him. So Hezekiah is saying there are things that occur naturally in our nation that would actually be fueling the enemy's success. We need to block those up to not give him the advantage. I think it's an incredible metaphor for our spiritual lives, that there are things in areas of our life that in your life and in mine, there are areas of brokenness and sin Because we are all human. There are areas in our life that are occurring that caused us to fuel the enemy's success in his attack on us. Because ever since Adam sinned in the garden, there is this sin gene that's inside of us, this propensity towards sin, this this predisposition to see the world through a broken lens. And because we are human, because we have that sinful nature, so many of us carry different labels and identities and issues throughout life. And we begin to believe things that aren't true, and we're giving a foothold to the enemy. We're giving him a strong place of influence and authority in our own lives because there are areas that we have left unchecked. And so Paul wrote it this way in Romans chapter 7. He said, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. So that's in the earthly or the fleshly nature. He says, I'd have the desire to do what is good. This is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, by the way. He says, I want to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And so then watch what he says in verse 21. He says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. If I want to do good, I keep doing the evil that I don't want to do. And then he says, I'm such a miserable person. oh wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He poses this question, how in the world am I going to get out of this? How in the world am I going to get out? Because I feel trapped. I feel stuck because I want to do what is right. But this earthly sinful part of me keeps wanting to sin. And I believe every believer can identify with that. Where you say, I want to do what is right. I have that want, but my, my sinful nature keeps trying to work its way free. Because there are areas of brokenness in your life and in mine. There are areas that could become an addiction if we allow it to go unchecked. There are things that we are entertaining. There are thoughts that we are embracing. There are things that we are doing that, if unchecked, will provide an advantage and fuel the enemy's success in his attack against us. And we have to learn how to close those things down, how to cut off the supply. Now, if you've been at Victory for more than a few years, or even if you've been a few months here at the church, you know that we have a war that has been going on where we are fighting a battle against the squirrels that live in the area, all right? We have been fighting a war for several years now, and I say they live in the area. They live in the building is where they live, all right? They live somewhere in the building, and we haven't quite pinpointed where yet, but there have been... Numerous battles, skirmishes, some casualties, I'm happy to report, right? We have had this battle forever. In fact, last year during one of the prayer services, we had one of them come down and make laps across the church through the the chairs here, kind of like a country music song. It was just like we were living it while someone was praying on the stage. And so a few guys and I were chasing it around and out into the foyer. And most people had their eyes closed praying. And I just began to pray, Lord, maybe there's a church in Tennessee that needs a pastor. Just Lord, just whatever, you know, wherever you lead me, oh Lord. But I just need you to know that of a Ben versus nature backstory that I need you to know, because at my house, we try to attract the more picturesque versions of nature, all right? My wife and kids put out the bird seed, and we try to get the really beautiful birds and all the colorful birds to come and eat the seed we try to attract them. It's great. And we put out enough seed to feed like the southeastern Right, We just we put them all out there and all the birds come. And there's the morning birds in the morning and all that. And so we bought a bird feeder and hung it from our tree that we could see from the window and put a bird bath under. It's like bird Disneyland, all right? It is just a beautiful, uh, it, it is what it is. We're going to have a Disney movie right there in our front yard. And so we filled that thing up with about a pound of bird seed, just filled it in there, right, and loaded it up. And we're excited about the birds that are going to come. Well, the next evening, we went outside, and the bird feeder was empty. And so we were a little disappointed because we didn't see the birds. And so we filled it back up, and we're excited. And the next day, we come back out, and we look out the window, and it's empty again. And so now we're a little bit more disappointed because we're through two bags of bird feed, right? And we haven't seen any of the beautiful birds. I saw some ugly birds, but I didn't see any of the beautiful birds that I'm supposed to be seeing. And so I went and got, we have these uh, little battery-powered security cameras, and so I moved one right to the branch next to the bird feeder, because I figured if we can't see the birds in real life, we can at least know when they come, and maybe wake up and see all the birds. And so I was all excited, so we filled up the bird feeder, the next evening, after you know thing, sure enough, the bird feeder was empty, and so we all run and get the phone and pull it out, and there's a couple of videos that it captured, and so we pull up the one from the morning, and we press play. And there is the fattest, happiest little squirrel that you have ever seen in your entire life. And he comes out at about 8 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know how he does it, but he has tucked his legs, his feet underneath the branch, flung himself upside down, and he began feasting at the bird feeder. For one hour, he ate breakfast at the bird feeder upside down. One hour he ate, and then I flip to the next video, and there's a couple of birds. And then lunchtime, here he comes again, right back down the branch, flips himself upside down, and for another hour he has lunch. And so I'm getting a little angry. My kids love it. They like watching the squirrel eat, whatever. But we flip to the last video at dinner time, and we watch him start to eat, and I notice that the video is time-stamped Two minutes from when we are watching that video. And so we run to the window and there he is, hung upside down, feasting on the bird feeder. Now, I won't say how I know this, but I have learned that it does no good for me to run outside in my underwear with a stick and try to chase the birds like a maniac across my lawn. It just doesn't do any good, all right? It just doesn't, it doesn't help to see they can outweight you, they can outwit you, they can do, it doesn't do any good, all right? The way you deal with this, and this is bringing back to the point of my story, the way you deal with it is you cut the supply lines. You cut the supply line because there are things about our house that were fueling the enemy. Bird Disneyland was fueling the problem that I had. There were things about my, listen to me, I didn't refill the bird feeder every day and then just wonder why I had a 50-pound squirrel who was coming to feast every single day. No, I cut off the supply line. Now, you can't put that on a bumper sticker, but that is good preaching, all right? That is good preaching. Some of you got to deal with the squirrels in your life because some of you keep buying the bird seed and keep filling up the feeder and then you wonder why the enemy has a fortress in your front yard. Some of you keep wondering why the enemy has the advantage when there are things about that you have to cut off the supply line. And it ruins the analogy a little bit, but I want to give some closure to those of you who love animals and you are thinking, because two days after I emptied the bird feeder and didn't refill anything... Early morning, about 8 o'clock, about the time for breakfast, my wife heard a knock on our kitchen window. I kid you, she heard a knock on our window, and so she went and opened it up, and there he was, ready to discuss the terms of surrender. Can we put that picture up there? Ready to discuss the terms of his surrender. And so I don't know if you've ever been outvoted four to one in your home, but now we put the bird seed back in. We feed the squirrels, we feed the birds. It's a Disney miracle, all right? We're just going to feed every animal within a mile radius of this thing. So send send me some birdseed, church, all right? But all that to say is you've got to deal with the squirrels. You've got to deal with the things in your life. and You say, well, how can I do that? 2 Corinthians says it this way. We live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. So the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, if you grew up in a charismatic background... You know, you probably heard this word or these words, spiritual strongholds, before. Let me show you what they are, though, because they probably aren't what you expect. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the first half of this verse tells us what the spiritual strongholds are. This, incidentally, is spiritual warfare, everybody. This is how you can begin to fight arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Spiritual strongholds are deceptions of the enemy that we have allowed ourselves to be trapped by. There are deceptions of the enemy we have allowed him to set up because we have believed something that's not true. We begin to believe. So Paul says we have these weapons To fight against this, against these arguments and the pretensions. And think about it for a minute. When you try to witness to somebody, maybe somebody who's far from God or someone who doesn't believe or someone who's actively fighting against and rejecting Jesus, what do they say? They have arguments and pretensions. They have arguments about why God is not all good or God could not be all loving. They begin to argue against who God is. They have in their minds this pretension of who God really is. And so they argue against anything or perspective of who he really is. And so spiritual warfare is tearing down those ideas, those things. They exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ. And so we begin to tear those down. And the way that you do that is you bring it, take the thoughts captive, and you make them obedient to Christ. Well, the reality is most people don't believe things about God that are true. Most people have this false belief about God. They begin to believe things that aren't true about the Savior. And so the way that we demolish those strongholds is we begin to reveal who God really is. We begin to take the thoughts captive. And so we have to demolish these arguments in people's lives so he can see, they can see God for who he really is. So you say, how do I do that? Well, you take every captive thought. You take every thought captive in your life and you make it obedient to the word of God. And that's just not like, well, you know, it's just a, a thought that I had and so I shouldn't have it. No, everything begins as a thought. Temptation begins as a thought. Craziness begins as a thought. If the devil's gonna get you to sin, it's gonna begin as a thought, If I think about chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream in my freezer and I begin to talk about chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream in my freezer, then when I go home after church today, I will eat the chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream that is in my freezer. I had somebody ask me if if I've been recording my sermons and just kind of playing them out on Sunday, like I'm already at home, right? No, I'm really here and I'm really thinking about chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream in my freezer, all right? That's what I've been thinking. That's not the point. The point is that everything that you do in life begins with a thought. Everything that you do in your life begins with a thought. Every sin begins with a thought. And so the devil will interject a thought into your mind that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Exalts itself against what's true about God. And that stronghold will begin to take place in your life if you allow it. If you let him do it, if you begin to believe something that's not true, and that's a spiritual stronghold, and you can't be lazy about it. You have to take every thought captive. And again, that's not just saying, well, that's a bad thought, so I shouldn't have that thought. Or, or man, I, I just I got to stop thinking about that right now. I'm just going to stop thinking about it. That's not what it is to take it captive. When you take a soldier captive in a war, if you take a spy captive, you're going to interrogate it. You're going to try to figure out how it got behind the lines. You're going to try to figure out what their intention is, what their actions are, what the plan that they're trying to take is. And so when you take a thought captive, you need to begin to say, okay, why am I feeling so insecure right now? Why am I having that thought of fear right now? Why am I beginning to feel this way or this depression setting in? Why am I having these thoughts? You begin to interrogate. You take it captive. And then what is in me that was born of God is now trying to be fulfilled in a perverse way. Because that's what sin is. It's gifts and things in our lives, desires God has given us, trying to be fulfilled in an unnatural way. Trying to be fulfilled in a perverted or unnatural way. And so we have to interrogate it where it came from. And then we have to bring it into obedience to Christ. John tells us that's the word of God. That is the word of God. We need to bring it in obedience to him. And so I have to replace every lying thought with no, I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. My God has plans for me. I don't need the approval of man. I have the approval of my father. We begin to take these thoughts, these insecurities, these depressions, whatever it is, these fears, and we begin to plead the blood of Jesus and the scripture over it, that there is no temptation that comes on man, that God will not already provide a way of escape, that it won't be enough to crush me because my God loves me and I know what the Bible says about me. We begin to replace those thoughts with the word of God. You begin to take the thought captive. You want to take it captive, you bring it into obedience to Christ. We have to replace it with truth. Begin to say, okay, where did it come from? Why do I desire it? What does God's word say about it? What does God's word say? Because I want to tell you, here's the secret, everybody. We learned this last week in the incredible message that Kirby preached. If you didn't watch it, go back and watch it online about the intermission. We learned it last week that the devil is a defeated foe. The battle's already been won. He's a defeated foe. The only thing he can do is trick you into coming out from under God's covering. To trick you into trying to step out to believe a lie about yourself. That's all he has. He's a defeated foe because the victory was already won at the cross of Calvary. The victory's already been won. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, it was actually finished. So we need to know that he's a defeated foe. And the only thing that you and I have to do to win this fight is to stay in it. You get your gloves up, you stay in the ring because Jesus has already won the victory. Amen, everybody? And so he's already won, but the devil will try to trick you into quitting. He'll try to trick you into believing that no one could ever love you. He'll try to trick you into believing that you have to pre-reject every relationship in your life that you need, that you're insecure or that you're not good enough. He tries to trick you into believing. He'll try to trick you into going back to the addiction. He'll try to trick you into stepping back into the old lifestyle. He'll try to trick you by lies and deception. He'll try to make you believe that you can never be free when the truth is that you can. You can be free. And here's the problem. The nature of a deception is that you don't know that you're being deceived. Because if you knew that you were being deceived, there wouldn't be a deception. Come on, you follow with me. So that's why David prayed, search me, God, and know my heart. So search me, Lord, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. And watch this, show if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting, and show me how you want me to live. Point them out to me, because we don't know sometimes where we're being deceived, but God's word says we can go to him. We can ask him, show me the ways that aren't pleasing to you. And every one of us has a past. There are areas in our life. Every one of us has a weakness. And I don't know where it might have come from in your life. Maybe it was from a wound from a parent or from a coach or from a teacher or from a friend. Maybe there's something that you're carrying, some addiction that you suffered through. All of us carry pain from our past. The decision that we have to make is, is it going to impact your tomorrow? You know, let the pain from the past impact your tomorrow. Because we all have it and we all sometimes allow it to continue to impact our future because there are springs inside of all of us. Just like in Hezekiah's time in his land, there are springs inside of us that if we allow them to go unchecked will fuel the enemy's attack. you got to know your enemy. If you're going to be successful, you have to know your weaknesses. And number three, as we close, you got to know your strategy. You've got to know how you're going to approach this thing. You've got to understand how the victory is going to be won. And there's multiple steps. I'm not going to make them as separate points. I just want to point them out as we walk through these last few scriptures together. 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 5, it says, Then he worked hard repairing all of the broken sections of the wall. First thing you've got to do is you've got to repair your past. You've got to begin to repair the broken section. Your past is a part of your story. I'm not saying to erase your past. It's a part of your testimony, but it should not be impacting your tomorrow should not be impacting your future. It's a part of your story, but it should not impact your future. Your past has to just be a part. So we have to work hard at repairing our past. We have to talk with some people, maybe talk with some counselors or some friends, let some spiritual direction in our life, let some close friends around us who have spiritual authority begin to speak life into us. You got to work hard at repairing the walls. And then I love this part of the verse, and building towers on it says repairing the walls and then building towers upon it and so not only do you repair your past but now you can let that be your testimony so it's not impacting your future but you're using it you let your mess become your message you begin to build towers and towers were places of watchtowers, where you begin to see and begin to notice other things about it and that's where places we where have relationships that you can form new relationships that can actually begin to speak life into your life that's why it's so important, even in this time of quarantine. I know it's harder to stay connected and maybe you have to FaceTime or you have to, you have to call somebody a little bit more often uh, than you would. It's a little harder, but those relationships are so important. You have to keep them. And then it said, and then he can watch. And build another wall outside that one. And he reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He prepared all of the weaker places with greater visibility. That comes from relationships. Where they can begin to speak into your life. Where you can have somebody who looks at you and says, hey, why are you talking like that? Or why, why did you do things like this? Or, or maybe what's that problem in this area? Begin to have people. Because if there's no one close enough to speak life into your life, you start to go into decay. If there's no one there who can begin to speak life to you begin to call out some things, we have to have that accountability, some watchtowers in our life. And then this last verse, he said, he also made a large number of weapons and shields. I love this because God has not called the church to be defensive. That's why we're not not threatened by having to take our services online or outside or whatever it is. We don't need a sanctuary that we need to huddle into. We're not backing away from anything. The church is not threatened by anything. God has called us to live on the offensive Bible says that we have the armor of God. We're not meant to huddle into fear. It says that we have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth. We have the shoes of peace. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible says we have the armor of God. And I would just want to point out to you this morning that every piece of that armor is on the front side of your body because God did not intend you to live in retreat. God did not intend for you to run away, to live in fear, to huddle away. We are intended to kick the devil in the teeth and we are gonna face up to whatever comes, gloves up. God is intended for the armor of God. We are gonna live in this world. We're gonna further the kingdom of heaven. We are meant to advance the cause of Christ. You're meant to continue to move forward, to take ground. If you are not experiencing resistance, you are not taking ground. You are not taking ground. There are weapons that God has given you You need to begin to find those weapons. Begin to find the weapon. The first one is the word of God and then you find the gifts that he's given you into your life. Each one of you has a gift to further the kingdom of God. Each one of you has a gift that God has given you to further the kingdom. You gotta find what that is, begin to use it. Begin to prepare the weapons and the shields. We gotta know our strategy. First, you gotta know that there's an enemy. You gotta know your weaknesses. Then you gotta have your strategy. Understand our gifts, know that we're in the fight because it's what God has called us to do. And so then he encouraged them. He brought all the people before him, assembled them in the square, and he encouraged them with these words. And I want to read these to you, church. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of whatever punch has been thrown. Don't be afraid or discouraged about whatever army is coming against us. This vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So I want you to watch what God does in this next part. Friday, the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. And King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, they cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And so they bring this prayer. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all of the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king after all that they did to get ready for battle. After everything that they did to prepare, God showed up, and in the end, the battle was the Lord's. In the end, the battle was his. I hope you know today that it does not rest in your efforts, church. We have to do our part. We have to be aware that the enemy is there. We have to begin to work out and repair the walls and know our weaknesses. We have to take this journey to find the strength and to put on the armor of God. We have to be equipped and ready to fight. But the most encouraging thing of all, the most comforting thing of all, is that as you get your gloves up, As you get your clubs up to remember, you remember that the battle is the Lord's. As you begin to equip for battle, you begin to fight, you begin to do this, you remember that the battle is the Lord's because it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me wherever you are right now? I just want to pray a prayer over you right now, over our church, over anyone who might be listening. I just want to pray a prayer because I know that there are people who are in a crisis people who are suffering, people who are hurting. And so I wanna pray over you that maybe you've allowed the enemy to come and to set up camp in your land. Maybe you've allowed the enemy to use things that are existing there to fuel his attack over you. Maybe you've allowed those things. Maybe the wall is not repaired. Maybe you've walked through some things. And I just wanna pray over you this morning that it's time for it to stop. Maybe you haven't clearly defined your strategy about how you're going to fight this or how you're going to stand in the faith and the trust in God's word. And it's time for you to set that up in your life. But first, I want to pray for those of you who might be far from God today. Because before we talk about the fight and about standing for the kingdom of God, we have to talk about if your relationship with Jesus is where it needs to be. So if that's you today, if you're far from God, and I don't know how you got there. Maybe it was a wound, or maybe it was something someone said, or maybe even spiritual leadership that drove you away from him. I want you to know today that he loves you, that he's not looking to get even with you. He wants to rescue you. I want you to know today that Jesus loves you. He's waiting for you. So if that's you today and you say, that's me, I wanna go back to him, I want this to be my day, I'm tired of running, I just wanna pray with you this morning. I wanna give you the words to a simple prayer, but you have to say it and mean it in your own life. Just a prayer of surrender. And so if that's you right now, would you just say this prayer to heaven? Would you say, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins, for all my mistakes. I surrender to you. Come live in my life. Now say these words, be the Lord of my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I thank you for every single person, God, in our church, every single person, Father, who's watching or listening. I pray that you would touch every life today. God, that no matter what it is, what they're facing, God, we thank you that they can be prepared to stand their ground in the time of attack, Lord. That we can have our gloves up, God. That you have called us to stand. Father, that you have given us the armor of God, that you have equipped us with your word. We thank you that you stand with us. And we thank you that at the end of the day, the battle is the Lord's. So I pray right now that you show us, Lord, that you show yourself strong. We thank you. We thank you for the power of the Spirit. We thank you, Lord. For all that you're doing in our lives, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said, amen and amen.